this is Lorsheng. And Gigi. Welcome to Slice Street, a space where we recreate our post-meal conversations with guests, discussing life, dreams, failures, and sharing stories. Yeah, just like we do after sharing a meal with friends in the comfort of our home. So I hope you enjoy listening in to our conversations with our guests. Hey, Slice Root family. Welcome to episode 13. We're so excited to have you here um, and join in in our conversation with our friend Albert Wang. Um, Albert is a man of many talents, many gifts, one of them being um, just a passionate and um, really thoughtful teacher and academic. And we invited him here into our conversation table to ask about what it looks like to be applying the things that he's learning in school and particular with the approach of humanization and what that even means. Um, So he graciously, wonderfully explained to us um, his journey and interest and passion um, in the field of education. So join in and uh, buckle up your seats. We're so excited for you to listen in, in our conversation. Hey, Slice Street fam. We're so excited to bring you um, our new episode with our friend Albert Wang. What, what, what? Hello, hello. It's a privilege to be here. Woo, I'm Amazing. so excited. Thanks for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, Albert's a, he's a bro. Um, he and I, we go on <laughs> forever and talk about all kinds of things. Um, we met d- during a church in small group. Yep. Um, and I always introduce him uh, to my friends as my second therapist. <laughs> There's just been some key moments in my life where sometimes like you're just talking to Albert and you just go so deep and, um, or like sometimes I'll think like, man, I really need to process. And he'll like call me up and like, Hey, what are you doing? Let's, let's <laughs> Yo, I credit God for that. <laughs> That's yeah, divine it, intervention right there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, It's been crazy. It's not even just once, but like twice. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I won't go too much um, into detail of Albert's background. I'll let him do that. So Albert, welcome to Slice Fruit. Yes. Um, hello, hello. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, and what you're up to now? Cool. I would love to. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Albert. Um, full name, Albert Wang, or Wei Chun, which is the Chinese name. Um, I was born in Taiwan, actually. I'm an immigrant, uh, first gen. And... Uh, I actually immigrated here relatively quickly um, and was raised in kind of like the Cupertino, West San Jose, South Bay area ever since. Um, I attended all like school there, like K to 12. Then I even went to college in the area. So I went to San Jose State, you know, shout outs to those that went to San Jose State, go Spartans. Um, (laughs) For a bachelor's in uh, basically teacher prep uh, for social studies, specifically like to upper grades. So sixth to 12th grade. And then uh, right now, I'm finishing up my master's at University of San Francisco. So I have a credential right now, and I'm getting a master's in teaching in, I think, the end of April. So it's real soon, actually. Wow. Yeah, really, really soon. Um, and then I'll hopefully be in a doctorate program, actually, in the fall um, wow. at the same school, University of San Francisco, uh, in their School of International Multicultural Education. Um, 
with a concentration racial justice. And so that's what I'm going to be doing, um, wow. hopefully in the fall after my master's program is over. So nice. yeah, it's a little about me. Yeah. Awesome. So um, you mentioned your master's. Could you tell us what exactly you're studying for your master's? Yeah, I would love to. Education. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I would, uh, so I would say that University of San Francisco is one of like the leading uh, schools in social justice education. They're very, very centered in that. Um, the specific, I guess, like title uh, name of my program is uh, Project HEAL and HEAL stands for humanizing educators and learners, um, specifically talking mm -hmm. about humanizing education, uh, humanizing pedagogy, which is basically another word for education. Um, and how that is like really grounded in social justice and ethics studies work. And so a lot of my master's study goes into social justice education specifically. So that's kind of where my concentration's from. Yeah. Wow, well, we haven't, I didn't realize that you were such an academic. I love it, I love it. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> that's awesome, that's so funny. I'm glad I don't play up here that way. Let's just say that. <laughs> like, if you're like an academic, I'd be so scared. <laughs> getting his doctorate awesome yeah I think we're, I think we're gonna go uh more into what that like humanizing education um uh, yeah. means but um yeah. first before we get into that um can you tell us a little bit about what are the reasons uh you chose to join like this academic and teaching field like how did you get here oh yeah mm -hmm. of course you know I actually love this question because this is like the question every like employer asks you as a teacher, you know, like, why this are you a teacher? This is basically an interview. This is literally like an interview, right? Um, and <laughs> like, like even in, you know, like my master's program, there's this why. And that's like the big question. Like, what's your why? Like, why are you here as a teacher? Because that mm -hmm. will ultimately like drive your passion and purpose, right? And so for me, I kind of like boiled it down to these two things. Uh, number one, I think when I was an adolescent, I just wasn't taken seriously at school. Like, you know, like I always felt maybe it was because I was hecka angsty, you know, as a teenager. But I think like, really, I, I did not feel seen by the adults. I did not feel like my voice mattered a lot. And I was really upset with that. Um, and also like kind of like adding on to that or maybe like even like branching off of that. I felt like I did not really gain like, a lot of like critical awareness of Asian American education, nor did I have like any Asian American role model teachers like at mm. all specifically in the humanities right like I think if you are happened or if you happen to be an Asian American teacher you're typically like a STEM teacher right there's not a lot of like Asian American male teachers in particular that are in the humanities um, mm. and so like I really desired that I really like lacked that kind of I guess care and understanding and empathy and so I was like yo like that's not cool like I want to in many ways like be that teacher for a lot of Asian Americans and even just like students of color in um, schools um, and be that person that can like empathize and understand what it means to be a person of color and like you know navigating all these like struggles in a very very I guess American school system and so those are like my two big big whys if that makes sense yeah mm. was that this, can I ask if that was yeah. that discovery process um was it something natural? Did that come naturally just to kind of realize at how you ended up in the education field? I would say yes, like very, very natural. I mean, there's also like a God component to it. Like I knew I wanted to be a teacher at a very young age. And like, like I think one time um, Pastor Angela, who was, you know, our pastor from youth back in the day was talking about the Fightful Ministry and mentioned teacher. And I felt this like 
very strong conviction to like mm. be this like this was at a very young age like in middle school and I mm. had to like kind of go through I guess like a series of like I guess awakening moments enlightenment moments where I'm like oh shoot like yeah like this is something I love to do like wow like yeah I'm realizing that I love working with the next generation oh shoot like I love you know representing and understanding like why I did not feel safe as an Asian American student in my school like why did that happen I mean a lot of like I guess that kind of critical uh, examination did come closer to college. But I would say like throughout mm, this entire process, right. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. It's just mm. that my why wasn't really, I guess, solidified until I was in college really studying this field and being like, oh shoot, yeah, like I know I wanna be here now. Like I've really understood what this is and understood why I, I yeah, I love this work, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, I guess that's, that's my answer. <laughs> Yeah, and I love that progression of discovering more about your why um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and more about, you know, yourself really in turn. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, now you're in your master's program. I'm sure that yeah. was like a completely different set of learning than your mm-hmm, bachelor's. Yeah. Uh, and right now you're focused um, at USF in master's in education, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Project Heal, humanizing mm-hmm. educators and learning learners. 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 Yeah, learners so essentially yeah. students right yeah humanizing educators and learners here mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. could you explain maybe a little bit more what that means um humanizing educators and learners sure yeah so like you know to go off um what you said Gigi like yeah like I think in my bachelor's program like I learned a lot about teaching and I also of course learned a lot about ethics studies right like this is where I guess my groundings in ethics studies education began but then like going into USF was like a full dive into ethics studies like a real deep intentional like critical analysis yeah like literally right like every class is an ethics studies class right like every class is wired towards social justice education Um, and at the end of the day right you can pick right like which forms of thought, philosophy, you want to incorporate into your own kind of way of teaching, right? Your own Mm. pedagogy. Um, And so for me, I really focus on humanizing education. And like in layman's terms, humanizing education is like this type of education that is like innately countercultural, right? So like it it really like pushes you or enables you to critically like critique pre-existing educational systems like around Mm. you, like grades, right? Like why are grades here? Why is standardized testing here? right? Like, why are there punitive forms of discipline? Why is there, like, deficit thinking or meritocracy? Like, why is that so prevalent in schools? Why is Pearson getting paid so much money, right, to, like, create textbooks? Like, (laughs) why are these things happening, right? (laughs) Yeah, we know, right? And, like, and it kind of flips it on its head, right? Like, it really places a human's kind of, like, circumstances first and prioritizes their innate value, right? Like, that is the point of humanizing education is to realize these people are way more complex than how they appear in school. That is just a reality, right? Humans are incredibly complex, right? And so when we even collate the fullness of their experiences and bring into this one singularity of like, oh, this is your grade and this defines who you are. And because of this definition, you go to the said college, it's incredibly like problematic, right? Um, And so humanizing education in essence then is just to expand on the fact that like a human's a human and that's important in school. Like that's incredibly important to acknowledge. Um, I know I'm going to like a lot of like, I guess like 
philosophy <laughs> like kind of like big picture <laughs> yeah, I love it. but I wanted to I wanted to start with that and then I can kind of bring it down to earth afterwards with like some more concrete examples but yeah that's kind mm. of like in essence what humanizing education is that's interesting because yeah. it makes me think you know what's the opposite like so if that was mm-hmm. what humanizing education educators and edu- and, and learners like mm-hmm. and the opposite I'm just I can't think of the word but I'm like then it would be like robotizing like you know yeah. we're making like robot like you know like black and white yeah. learners versus human exactly. complex nuanced learners mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus computer learners mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. yeah like so I've had like numerous combos with Gigi about this about this like educational philosopher that I just freaking love um his name is Paulo Freire and he's this Brazilian educator education philosopher and he actually defines like this like term that you're mentioning Lorshing as banking model education which is like imagine a child's like a bank right you're just like kind of feeding them money and they're just being this robot that's just getting information without any form of response, right? Whereas like the opposite, which what he defines as problem posing education is understanding the problems and systems in society that impact you. And like that innately humanizes the person, right? Goes, mm-hmm. oh shoot, like these are things happening in society. Like these are things that are happening in my community and I actually have a way to respond to this. Um, and so yeah, there is incredible polarity here, right? That black and white that you mentioned for sure, for sure. I guess to piggyback off of that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. right now, so right now you're, you're, you're doing your master, you're finishing your master, mm-hmm. but you're mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. being a full-time teacher. Is that right? Yes. Yes. At, at a high school? Yeah. Okay. And you're teaching yes. 12th grade. I am. I'm teaching 12th grade um, AP government and economics. Right now we're in AP gov, but last semester I thought. Oh, it's, I didn't talking. know you were doing an AP class. How fun. I am. I, I am. <laughs> I'm doing both AP and uh, general regular um, gov as well. I'm doing both. And so students, I mean, when you think of AP, they're like, the whole point is to take that AP test. Mm-hmm. Right? 100%. You with that result. Absolutely correct. Yes. Okay. So now, now taking what you're learning and studying, how mm-hmm. is that necessarily applied or how is that you know, affect your, uh, you as a teacher, um, yeah. you know, particularly, let's say this year in your 12th grade class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. It's, I gotta be honest, right. It's incredibly stressful, right? Like <laughs> imagine being a teacher, just like sitting there between these two polarities and being like, what do I do? Right. Because there are things that you just legitimately can't control. For example, standardized testing is always going to be there, right? Like the grade system is going to be there no matter how hard you fight against that. Right. Um, at least, by yourself, right? Like you can't just be like, all right, kids, screw this test, right? We're just not gonna take it, right? Cause that in itself is also harming these kids, right? Cause they're like, well, well, we kind of still need this test to, you know, go to college, right? This is still a thing, um, but it's difficult, right? Because then it's super demoralizing for you to be like, okay, well, here's another test, right? That's for this AP test, right? And you're literally learning to master this test. And that's all you're doing. It doesn't feel like learning because you really aren't learning anything past that point. Um, and so a lot of uh, like teachers, um, and I credit, of course, our program, uh, we talk about this problem a lot. We, like, we, we obviously grieve about this because that's super important. Um, but we talk about kind of like 
setting a distinction between what we can control and what we cannot control, right? The things we cannot control are the things I just mentioned. And the things we can control are things that we can accommodate to humanize these students in these processes. So like, for example, let's say that like we have testing, right? I think a common um, thing that you would consider teachers being concerned about is cheating, right? Is a student cheating, right? That's, I would say common, you know, you used to have those folders on your desks, right? To make sure that, you know, one student's looking at their own tests, right? Make sure they're mm -hmm. not on the phones and whatnot, right? But I think like having a humanizing framework in that regard would be like, why do you believe a child would cheat in the first place, right? Like, isn't mm -hmm. that in itself believing that a child is going to do that to you, right? Like that's a lack of trust, right? Um, of course, right, there's parameters you should set, right, to prevent cheating from happening. But if your like entire mind is like, oh, these kids are gonna cheat, oh, for sure, right? This is gonna happen. Like that's also demoralizing to the kid, right? And so having that level of trust, right? Being like, hey, I would trust you with this, right? Take the test. I trust that you're using your full knowledge. And if you're not, like, let's talk about it. But I, in the beginning, you give me no reason to believe that you would cheat, right? So yeah. why would I believe that? Yeah. Right, that's like mm. one example. Or for example, another one is like, um, I would say standards, right? Um, you can't control standards. You can't control standardized testing, right? But you can control accommodations, right? You can control support networks. You can say, hey, I care about you so much. This test doesn't matter, right? Like at the end of the day, like I have a blurb on the top of every test. And I literally write like with full underline and everything. I say, hey y'all, just as a quick reminder, like this test doesn't define you. And whoever says that it does is not know, does not know what you're talking about. So like mm -hmm. understand that when you're taking this test and understand that I care about you way more than this test, uh, this test and my, my thoughts on you through this test. So take it with that lens. And at the end of that, like humanize their experience in that, right? This test sucks. It's also not an accurate measure of your brilliance. So don't think that way, right? Like these are accommodations I can create, right? And mm. speaking of testing, right? My kids actually just took a test a couple of days ago and one of my students actually like read it out loud and looked at me and was like, oh, Mr. Robert, that's so sweet. Thanks so much. Like, I really appreciate that. And I was like, I got you. Like, of course, no problem, right? And like, those are the moments where I'm like, yeah, like this, they just got humanized there. Like they were just like, they just saw my care and that's what I can do, right? Like I can extend right, care and forgiveness, I can provide extensions. If a kid's not feeling well, and sometimes kids aren't feeling well, the day of the test, I'm like, hey, take another time. Like, you know, you don't need to take it now. Who said that, <laughs> right? Take it when you feel ready. Like your mental health is more important. Like go sit there and like, I'll check in with you in a few minutes, we can talk, right? Like those are the things I can control. Um, and so it's like really, rather than kind of ignoring the fact that these dehumanizing things are here, it's understanding and acknowledging that this is dehumanizing, but what are we gonna do about it? Right? Like, how are you mm. going to actually incorporate care work and humanization in the midst of this extremely difficult and oftentimes like trauma inducing tests and system? And so, I guess mm. that's how I would like really bring in humanization into the classroom in a way that, you know, hopefully the kids can acknowledge and see. So, yeah. Man, I think on the, on the note of humanizing education and humanizing students and learners, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, obviously one very real part of being human is through like interaction, right? In social yeah. interaction. And 100%. I think, um, I, I'm sure as an educator, you've seen the effects of this last two years in the pandemic um, mm -hmm. and what it's done to that learning experience. Um, mm -hmm. What, what are some tips or reminders that you practice to allow oneself to be human that you would want to share with others? Um, whether that's, it, maybe, maybe that's a question for 
for educators in that space, mm-hmm. but maybe mm-hmm. just also for the general public too. Yeah, yeah. I think like, I think teachers are in a u- unique position um, where when they are humanizing kids, they're reminded to humanize themselves. I think that's why Project Heal is humanizing educators and learners. It's both, mm-hmm. right? Because you cannot be a humanizing educator if you're not humanizing yourself, right? Like there are so many philosophies on that, right? Like in the Christian, I guess, understanding it's you love your neighbor as yourself, right? You need to love yourself as well. And so like understanding this level of care, of course, it's incredibly important. Um, And honestly, there are a few ways, at least like I can talk about more of the context specific ways for teachers. Number one is like having fun with their kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like have fun with their kids outside of school. And I can like, I think that's something I actually treasure the most. Every morning, there are a few students that come to my classroom way before the bell rings. Like, you know, like we start at 8.30, they're here at 7.30. And we just talk for an hour. We talk about life. We talk about Snapchat, who they're dating, like any of the tea that's going on. They teach me Gen Z terms that I don't know, right? Like, and like, and, and like that in itself builds a level of trust and rapport where like, I'm like, I see you as a human because you are, you're like my friend in many ways. Obviously, you're not actually my friend, but, you know, you are in many ways, like a younger friend, right? You're not my peer necessarily, but you're my friend. Um, And in doing that, right, um, I'm happy being in in my job. I'm happy, like, hanging out with you because then it also then turns into a, a space where I can not only fulfill my responsibilities as an educator, but also take the time to relax and, like, joyfully celebrate with my students, right? Um, that obviously leads to a lot of benefit. For example, when students don't want to do their work, like a kid actually was like, hey, I'm going to skip this question. And I literally went to the kid and I was like, hey, do it for your homie, man. Like, come on, do it for me. And he was like, dad, you got to pull that card. And he did it, right? He did the work and, <laughs> and gave it to me. I was like, there we go. Thank you, my friend. You know? And he was like, I got you, dude. I got you. And like those kinds of relationships and rapport is what makes my work so fulfilling, right? Um, and the, I guess like non-teacher contextual um, aspects of care, it would be, I would say, I would split into like philosophy and action once again, um, like understanding that work is a part of life. Like I think the term work-life balance it like implicitly separates these two, but they're very, very intertwined, right? Work is a part of life and life is a part of work. That's just how reality works, right? Um, everything's intersectional. And so knowing that, means that you should give yourself time to grieve, right? There are broken things in society, right? We have deliverables, right? We have managers that are telling us, hey, this is what you need to do, right? This is the next thing you need to do, or this is your performance review, right? How are you gonna improve? And grieve about that, because that's important, right? Like it's important to be frustrated by these systems and understand that these systems are not humanizing. Um, It's finding spaces to be in a relationship with yourself. This is like one of the best pieces of advice my therapist gave me. He was like, hey, Albert, if you were your own friend and your friend told you the problems that you just told me, how, like, how would you react to that friend, right? Like, imagine your friend is you, right? And that friend just told you all those things. Like, how would you treat that friend, right? And of course, you would treat that friend with grace, with compassion, with empathy, with forgiveness, with all of these things um, that I would say a lot of us just don't do with ourselves, right? We're often very, very critical of ourselves, very... Um, bitter about the things that we have yet to improve on and don't take the time to celebrate how powerful we are and how resilient we are by even just living through a very, very dehumanizing system. Um, So doing that, 
um, I would say one last one probably that I would love to share is just like sometimes like being like being or not sometimes all the time being your inner advocate. I think oftentimes we go to other people for like support and that's great. That's super important. There needs to be a space for that affinity and spaces of sympathy, but you also need to be your own advocate, right? Like you also need to tell yourself, hey, it's okay. Like you did the best you could. Like, it's okay if you didn't make it this time, right? Like you got this, like, I'm proud of you. Like that's important, right? Like, I guess being the person that your Asian parent, right? Probably was not for you in some ways, okay? That's a stereotype <laughs> I know, but you know like what I mean, um, right? Being like parenting yourself essentially in a lot of ways, right? Being your inner parent. Ideally, what would your parent, what would you want your parent to say to you right now? Or what would you want, you know, your friend to say to you right now and say that to yourself? That is like one of the most groundbreaking kind of like shifts in thought that I've ever received. Um, mm. And it, yeah, it's been like life-changing for me, like to understand those forms of care. I, I think, you know, we've we've heard this term humanization mm-hmm, and dehumanization mm-hmm. in this conversation. Yeah. And this actually happened in, in one of our conversations with me and Albert. Yeah. I was like, we were going far into the, all these like thoughts that, yeah. um, that we had. And then I was like, wait, Albert, I need you to kind of give me a summary. Like, what do you mean when you say humanizing and dehumanizing? Like, what does yeah. that framework look like? And I thought you had a pretty good answer to that so maybe uh-huh. you can just share a little more like what does that mean um in in these ideas and these frameworks that you're talking about you know looking at um education through i guess what like within the lens of education right it humanization is incorporating their story into what you're teaching right like what does it look like to look at someone's story right like you can you can like i think i as an educator but everyone as people can shift the lens of a story, right? Through their speech, right? That is something that everyone has innately and that is a power everyone has, right? Um, And the perspectives of those that receive your story will change based on how you frame it, right? And so for me, like, I'm very intentional about trying to make sure, like I'm honoring people's stories in my humanization. I'm honoring my own story in this. Um, I am both a human and a teacher, right? I'm not just a teacher, I'm also a human, but, I'm not, I'm not just a human, I'm also a teacher, right? And what does that look like? What does that, like, what are these complexities like mean, right? Um, I guess that is something I really ground myself in. Like, what does just mean to incorporate my story in all aspects of me into who I am, right? Because that's really important. Um, and then, then I guess conversely, right? Dehumanization is negating all those aspects of your story and kind of seeing you as this like one data point or kind of even confining you to this like one label. Right? I think that society has become incredibly labelistic, right? You look at how someone dresses and you have like immediate assumptions about someone or you hear that someone is from an Ivy League and you think, oh man, this person's so smart. Oh my gosh, they have to be smart, right? Um, but then like the act of doing that negates the inner complexities of who they are. Maybe they have imposter syndrome, 
right? Maybe they feel an anxiety about the fact that everyone thinks they're incredibly smart and has to live up to this potential, right? There's so many aspects of a human being's conditions that are negated and just ignored. Um, when we kind of like place an individual in these like strict boxed labels. Um, and that also ignores the entire concept of intersectionality, right? How every aspect of our lives are so deeply embedded within each other that it's, it's really a shame then to just ignore all of that, right? And focus on one thing <laughs> and polarize one aspect of you. Um, so I would say that would be my definition. I don't know if that was the same one, honestly, that I said <laughs> last night, but hopefully that was good. I don't know, Gigi, what do you think? <laughs> I, I like that. I, I think, um, uh, I remember you mentioning essentially that, um, maybe it's not even confined to education, but, um, you know, at least in, in your experience, like you, you felt like you as a student, um, it was dehumanizing to be only cared about like with what grade you had on the SAT yes. or what grade, um, you know, whereas like what was humanizing was really saying, hey, you have worth no matter what grade you have. Mm. Like everyone has oh, yeah. in, that inherent mm. worth and a recognizing oh, yeah. that. And maybe you can, maybe you can say it better. Um, oh like yeah. That part was the, Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that is a key aspect of humanization. Sorry, I maybe I did not mention that. But yes, like humanization, I believe is very aligned with Christianity, right? Like every human is valuable, because they're loved by God, right? That is the simple aspect of it. And that's very hard for us to even like kind of even like wrap our heads around because we're like, wait, God, don't we need to work for you? Like, don't we need to serve you in a lot of ways? Like, don't we need to do this and that? But God's like, no, like rest with me, <laughs> you know, like sit with me and be at peace and be loved by me. Right. And like that is hard, but at the crux of what humanization is, right, to see yourself as a as a being that is um, that stems beyond any actionable item, right, that you can do or mm. deliver. Right. That is yeah. so important. Right. So that like when you approach someone, you don't see them for those labels. You don't see them for those actionable items. You see them for who they are right, which is just a vulnerable human being who makes mistakes, and that's okay, right, everyone makes mistakes, and yet we're all valuable, and yeah. I think, like, that reminds me of this concept of rest, right, and this really brilliant friend of mine, who's also a classmate in USF, was like, yo, rest is, like, our, like, God-given right, <laughs> like, we have a right to rest, it's not earned, right? We have a right to rest. And that it was like, oh, I like when I heard that, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like you just like popped off there, you know? Mm -hmm. My God, I need to think about that for a hot second because that is so important. Like rest is not earned, right? Rest is innate. Rest is like, is purely deserved because of your innate value. Um, and dehumanization obviously that is the polar opposite of that, right? Rest is earned. You are based off of your productivity. You're based off of your deliverables, your achievements. And because of said achievements, that's how we value you, right? That concept of like saving face even, right? Like, oh my gosh, you know, what if people think of us this way? What if people think of us in, in these lenses? Like that is dehumanization, mm. right? That's mm. so pressuring, so anxiety driving. And I've seen so many students get like, and people in general get incredibly traumatized and deeply, deeply impacted. Mm. Um, by that in extremely negative ways. Mm. Right, right. I've got, I've got one last question. Um, sure. Because actually, sure. this Absolutely. is all really new for me. So this is like, oh. I'm just kind of taking it all in. It's no, kind of fun no. about uh, 
having a more critical perspective about yeah. how we view education, but not just education, you know, just how we view people. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But as you, it sounds like, you know, you're finishing up your master's, you're yeah, going into yeah. your doctorate. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, maybe relatively uh, uh, early in your career, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts about maybe for yourself in your, in, in your time in education, what are your hopes for education? What are your hopes for you as an educator wow. in the next 10 years? Where would you want to be as like, yeah, in next 10 years with your doctorate? What kind of, um, yeah, educator would you like to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like the academic aspect, like my goals, you know, like I guess professionally. And then there's just like the human Five aspect. Bucks. Yeah. No, no, no. Come on. Hold on. Hold on. Gigi literally was like, oh my, I expect like, you know, yeah, 10, 10 books, eight workshops. I'm like, no, 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 You have, you have uh, very high hopes for me, sister. <laughs> but um, I would say like, I am planning on doing my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation on Asian American mental health and how that intersects with um, so, like their identity, right? So Asian American identity and mental health and how those two factors intersect with each other. And I hope to do a lot of research on that. Because like for me as a student, never have I been able to read some research paper from a teacher, especially um, that like an Asian American teacher that talks about how important mental health is for Asian American students. That is unheard of, right? In the field, Asian American education also for context is very, very underdeveloped. Um, there are not too many Asian, like there are plenty of amazing and I, and I you know work closely with a lot of them. But as a field in general, like Asian American educators, there's not a lot of them, right? And so my professional goal, of course, is to be humanizing to my Asian American students in general, right? Be the person that can empathize with them and be a reminder for them. Like, hey, like you are beyond the cultural pressure and trauma that you're facing, right? That's like my, my professional goal, like to continue doing that for like, you know, not only my Asian American students, but like for all students of color that like I can empathize and sympathize with, right? Um, and I guess you asked me like, what do you hope to be in 10 years, right, Lorshin? Is that what you asked? Sure, or like, what's your, what's your vision of what My education vision. or you as an educator can be? Yeah, wow. I, I, my hope is that like in my work of education, I don't need to be bogged down by a lot of the dehumanizing systems that are set in place in 10 years. For example, I hope, and I really do, that there's less of a pressure on AP testing in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I really hope that there's there's no requirement for SATs in 10 years. And that's close. That's like right, coming right. soon, right? Yeah. Um, I hope that colleges see students in a more holistic framework. I hope that students, and I really do hope that as students learn from both me and other humanizing educators out there, they're able to critically analyze society. Um, and be like, yeah, like, even though I know that these college professors, because college is rough, right? Like, you know, even though I know these college professors might be dehumanizing or college might be really tough, I had that one teacher. Like, I had that one humanizing teacher, and that made the difference. And I know that there's hope in other professors out there, but also that, like, I can be critical then of what dehumanizing education looks like, because I've been given humanizing education. Um, and honestly, like, that's all I can hope for right, is to be a humanizing teacher for my students and consistently kind of examine both my positionality and theirs in my work. So then 10 years, I can still doing that, uh, do that and have students hopefully come back to me and tell me like, hey, yeah, like I, I went through this like super like messed up college class or this, you know, super messed up job thing. But like I was reminded to be critically like analyzing all of these things and also to be humanizing myself in this. 
that's my hope really for these students, like to humanize themselves throughout the rest of their lives. Um, and especially in the process of learning. So hopefully that answers your question, Lauren. I'm not sure, but, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. really excited to, to kind of follow and see how that, I mean, maybe we'll have you on and in like a year or two or to yeah. talk about your, about Asian, Asian American mental health and education. Yeah. Oh, heck yes. <laughs> That'd be such an honor. Um, yeah. I love, I love doing that field of research. It's great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, th I think if there's one thing to say, like um, I knew coming into this interview, 30 minutes would not ever capture oh. <laughs> everything that we've, you know, uh, that I've gained and just like, it's just so fun. And maybe, maybe we have very similar personalities, but you know, like, it's always so fun to hear your ideas. And I love just your passion for education. I love your passion um, of learning and growing. Mm -hmm. And it, <laughs> sometimes if you're, if you're not talking to Albert, he's just like, sometimes just you know, I have this picture of Albert just staring in space and just like thinking he's just constantly <laughs> thinking about like different ways of different perspectives you know that and is true it, could, it doesn't have to even be about education literally about anything you could be like what's your opinion on this you know <laughs> and <laughs> um yeah so I mean I think we can go on forever um but um you know this idea of humanizing um, ourselves while humanizing others and mm -hmm. being human um, and understanding that in, in our, uh, especially in our interactions and a mm -hmm. lot of these cultural and sy systems that we just are so used to, but we don't question or we don't ask and, and, and say, hey, am, what do I feel about this? How am I feeling? Yeah, am, am I repressing yes. what, um, what I feel, you know, because I because people around me are telling me I, I shouldn't. Um, so just really allowing um, myself to uh, have that awareness um, while giving, and then allowing the other person to have that as well. Um, wow. I, wow. I think- uh, Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> that was so good, Gigi. You just like, like summarized like my entire yeah. spiel in like, of course, like a minute. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> Damn, girl. I, <laughs> well you know just to kind of close it out we, we usually end uh -huh. with um a fun you know personal yes. thing and a yes. recommend an anti-recommend that oh, you hell want yes. to give to the Lay slice down. group fam Lay down. oh um, hell so... yes born ready <laughs> Gosh, I have no, no, no idea what to expect okay. all right so albert what is your recommend Okay, y'all, I got I got two. I got a little greedy, sorry. Um, number one, uh, reading books, that's like pretty not surprising. Hey. Okay, like please read books, okay? Like y'all read, uh, you know, all the listeners out there, like, God damn it, just read, okay? Like, you know, instead of an hour on Instagram or TikTok, like read a damn book, you know? Like, please. Right. Okay, <laughs> so that sounds really book? messed up. I mean, um, okay. What's one book I got you. Okay, okay. Oh. Um, I'm reading Thinking Fast and Slow. Yes. Um, amazing, yeah. amazing book. Um, I think the, uh, he's a doctor, Daniel, I think Daniel, I can't pronounce the last name, but anyways, great book. Um, but here are my recommendations for books. Um, for those that are Christian, um, or who identify as Christian, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a freaking amazing book. Please read that book. All right. Like life-changing, game-changer for sure. Um, 
for those that don't identify as Christian or just, you know, if you're interested in being Christian, you know, read that book too. Um, but for those that don't identify, uh, When Breath Becomes Air. Such a good uh, book. Oh my that. lordy, right? Amazing book, um, like just waterworks, just be ready for it. Good reads. Okay? Good reads, for real. Um, anyways, okay, other recommendation, this is a hot take, but you know, I'm, I'm here for the spicy hot takes, all right? Here the mic drops. Um, uh, I highly recommend Papusas. All right. Oh, so good. Okay. All right. Okay. So Hold good. Tacos have nothing on pupusas. All right. My personal opinion. Ooh. All right. They are like, they're so cheap and they give you like such large portions. So like the amount that you're getting, the bang for your buck is like significantly higher in my opinion than tacos. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I, I, uh, I just don't think of them at, on the same level. Like they're not necessarily, they're just like Pupusas are great. Tacos are great. But I would never like choose one over the other. It's like okay, okay, you know, like it's like a fair, pizza and a watermelon. You know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's also yeah, Salvadorian, so you know, it's not <laughs> you know, sure. But yes, I'm like everyone's talking about tacos, and I just get so pissed sometimes. I'm like, yo, what about the pupusas? They're getting love. You know what I mean? All and like right, that's why I just right. I freaking love pupusas. Like they're 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 so good. Albert like, is on his campaign, his pupusa oh. campaign to like oh, he best convert it. <laughs> Well, well yes. con convince me one more thing. You said you like pupusas more than tacos because of the yeah. quantity and yes. that it's unique. But yeah. what's another thing about about the pupusa itself that you think you find tacos it are great. Tacos are hella good, right? I'm not gonna obviously I love tacos, right? But okay. like I I okay okay Loki, here's how I compare it. I compare tacos to like Shake Shack. Shake Shack's solid, right? Uh -huh. Freaking amazing, right? Quality. Uh, pupusas like In and Out. Right, it's cheap and it's still solid, <laughs> right? And I—that's what's gonna bring in the. He's I gonna know. In and out. You know. Have you <laughs> had like good street tacos? Like that's, I have. That's like that's not Shake Shack. That's not like bougie. It's like okay, okay, sure. But I mean, you I guess know, I. The... Go ahead, go ahead, Albert. Sure, I think I can only reference to be fair the price points of the Bay Area, right? Because that's like where I okay. get pupusas from. So you know, I can't, I can't compare <laughs> the street taco prices. Really, I can't. But tacos here are hella expensive and they're True. Yeah. price, right? And so for me, I'm like, I'd rather get a pupusa than a taco any day. Like, for And sure. I can attest to Lorshing's disbelief in pupusas because we, last time we hung out, I got a pupusa and uh -huh. Lorshing was like, uh, she didn't, she wasn't a believer. And then she just wanted to take a taste of my pupusa uh -huh. Uh -huh. and she like ate half of it. I still remember her face. She was like, whoa this is good can i have another They're bite really and like, good all that salsa i was like so this became our pupusa now not just like something that i wanted because <laughs> i think i asked her do you want one you know oh gosh <laughs> all oh right. my gosh y'all okay what's your anti-recommend what's your anti-recommend okay y'all this is also loki a hot take um hikey a hot take actually i anti-recommend having like a large room or like a large room with like way too much negative space in general like i'm a photographer <laughs> so, I, so i use the term <laughs> negative space Okay, and I'll give you my reasoning for it. I got y'all, okay? I got y'all with the reasoning, okay? Um, it's because when you have a large room, I feel like that like naturally enables you just to leave things everywhere. Cause you're like, you know, like I, I can still sleep in my bed, you know, yeah. just like in this corner somewhere. Or like, yeah, you know, why don't I just put a stack of books, you know, like the like corner of my room. Like, you know, it's not gonna make that big of a difference, right? Whereas like, I used to have a large room and now I have a small room and it's meticulously clean, right? Cause like, I literally cannot sleep if I do not clean my room. <laughs> I like I literally if I have clothes on my bed well I'm screwed right and so like unless you're one of those people that sleep with clothes or, or in your bed with clothes on top of you which is 
kind of weird, <laughs> but you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, no, no judgments. Yeah, no judgments, actually. You know, I, I've been there too sometimes. Okay, so no judgments <laughs> there. But I would say having a large room uh, with too much negative space does enable you to, um, you know, put a bunch of stuff everywhere. And I feel like a clean room actually really also clears up your mental space. That's my personal opinion, right? Oh, 100%. Way more in harmony and peace when you have a clean room. And Ugh, yes, Lord. Amen. I can totally affirm that. Yeah. Make my bed every day and it's freaking amazing. You know, make sure everything's like settled, clothes are, you know, in my closet and holy crap. It's, it's game changing. It's literally like, <laughs> it, it is, that, it uh, is like self-care. Yeah. It is literally self-care. Yeah. It in is. a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, every time I- there's just one thing that like I will remember is this one conversation me and Albert had where you're like man like basically you were just talking about how you hated how a lot of these like companies are trying to jump on this whole like self-care wagon yeah self-care has become something that you have to buy you know and so like me mentioning self-care and cleaning your room it's like yeah we were we were just talking about like what are free self-care things you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, great this great point yeah, yep, really 100%. Good. Like another self-care thing is like don't multitask. You know, like psychologically speaking, multitasking right. is proven to like reduce your productivity and increase the cognitive lift in your brain. So don't eat while checking your phone. Like don't do that. Like, you know, Ooh. that's not self-care, right? Eat, <laughs> talk to someone and then check your phone later. You know, like, you know, I, I had to learn all these things, honestly, by force. It's not like I'm like, right. you know, like I'm a guru at this. It's because I'm a teacher and I would have to like, have peak levels of productivity and care like at all all times and so like I'm always kind of like really dissecting every aspect of my life to make sure that I'm like getting rest if that makes any sense for sure for sure yeah yeah so Uh, Albert um is there anything like if listeners want to follow you do you have like some or I know you're a photographer you know this is your chance to throw anything or or maybe we can just wait we can wait you know um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. The only thing I have is just like my Instagram, but it's private. <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to be helpful. Yeah, my blogs are also private. So it's like, what do I do? Right. Um, I mean, I am, uh, I am planning, uh, or actually me and a bunch of my friends actually from my cohort in USF, we're writing this research paper on standardized testing and the racist roots of standardized testing and how that impacts mm. people. And I think that's a topic that's actually interesting for everyone. And I'm going to be kind of uh, disseminating that to the general public, hopefully. Um, and our goal is actually to make it accessible, as in vocabulary-wise. Nice. Like, everything should be accessible. Because we also don't like the understanding that, like, oh, information should only be reserved to the highest, you know, echelons of academia, you know, up in that ivory tower, right? No, like, we need to bring education down and learning down. And so... We are doing it in a langu- in a framework that's extremely accessible. Hopefully, we're trying, and uh, in a way that's an easy read. Mm-hmm. So when that comes out, I will send that out to Gigi and Lorshing, and yeah, we'll, we'll link get it. Get to that. We will um, link and it. I got you know maybe I'll get books or I give you a list of highly recommends and anti recommends, and we can start a start a war. You know, <laughs> we can do that too. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Looking forward to that, man. Looking yeah. forward to that. Well, thank you, Albert. We super appreciate you being here. Um, no, it's incredible so lovely perfect. to hear all your ideas and really for, <laughs> for you to share. It's so hard, like condense all of the stuff that you've been thinking about for the past 
two decades. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, or a decade. <laughs> full disclaimer: like I mean, half hour before my podcast, like the podcast, I was just taking notes and kind of like trying to figure out what I want to say. So I it was hard it. for me too. You know, it's not like I have this concise, succinct thing. It's like no, all of these things were meticulously thought out. So. Totally. Um, very pensively, I guess, thought out as according to Gigi with me staring at the space and <laughs> I just have that philosophizing. <laughs> <laughs> philosophizing, what could I like make it <laughs> Well, Albert, yeah. thank you so much. We're so excited um, for you to be here. Um, and yeah, you know, we're excited for the things to come. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. Thank you so much. And thanks to the listeners. Y'all are amazing. Uh, God loves you. I love you. I really do. All right. (laughs) And yeah, thanks for inviting me. All right. See ya. Bye. And now it's time for Eating Sliced Fruits with Lorshing and Gigi, the part of the show where Lorshing and Gigi eat sliced fruits. All right. You have your strawberries? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I have these special strawberries from Costco, and they, why are they special? They market, they market them as the, they're called hydros, and I guess they're made by hydroponics, so they're very big and juicy, and very watery. Mm, Where'd you get so, your strawberries? Mm, Aldi's. <laughs> mm, yeah, these are pretty darn good. I'm surprised because I this is pretty early for strawberry season, isn't it? I have a, a fruit calendar that mm-hmm. shows everything in season. Mm-hmm. Um, in what season? In California. Mm-hmm. And strawberries are in season the whole year. That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know how they did it, but... But particularly this round of going to the grocery store, the strawberries looked quite good. Yeah. These ones, if you ever go to Costco, if you have friends who go to Costco, try them. Honestly, these these strawberries from Aldi's is pretty good. I sprinkled a little bit of salt, like fine salt. It's pretty good. You put salt on your strawberry? Yeah, why not? Salt on your fruit. Hey, Samin tells tells me to put salt on everything because it enhances flavor. No, I just like it natural. Natural. <laughs> um, we were talking earlier about whether or not we actually did strawberries. Because we could have, we could most, it could be really likely if we, we've done strawberries before, but you know, it's been a while, so I can't remember. Yeah, and they're so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, strawberries, I'm just thinking about what it brings. Um, I mean, it's like pretty staple. It's like bananas and apples, like strawberries or what? oranges. No. no, it's like staple, like bananas, apples, oranges, strawberries. Like it's like, like pretty standard like you can find them anywhere mm-hmm. um but i guess i would oh well that's hard to say a really good strawberry is pretty heavenly mm. so good mm. i wonder if there's different variations of strawberries most definitely but i've never had like i've had different variations of oranges bananas you know, but for strawberries bananas. or yeah, of course. Like what? Plant- plantains. There's all sorts of different bananas. I mean, yeah. I mean, just been you don't see it very often. It's just plantains. But bananas. I mean, actually, I have, I have a banana tree, and it's definitely a different type of banana. You have a banana tree? <laughs> I know. Isn't that? Do you, 
Do you eat them? I've, it's in the three years I've lived here, it's only produced like one stalk of fruit. And, oh. and I ate it. Yeah, that's good. Tastes like a banana. No, it tasted like a strawberry. It was very sweet. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. You're saying I have a banana tree that produced one stock in three years, but it tasted like a strawberry. <laughs> but yeah, if you try different bananas, they have a different quality. It's pretty sweet. Dang. Hey, next time, <clears throat> save one for me. Yeah, if it produces. like Sometimes I periodically will look, but um, there's like nothing growing. <laughs> How wonderful. Yeah. You have avocados, bananas passion fruit from your neighbor mm-hmm. wow i feel like whenever we record this i'm the only one eating <laughs> no i because i finished it's oh, so you're... good oh how many straw how many sliced strawberries I did you have four oh we had four okay. strawberries and you just ate it yeah oh did you even slice it yeah you know that's what i was going to talk about i was like do we need to slice strawberries for the most part i don't unless i'm making a dessert you know sure but but strawberries are sliced whereas like grapefruit you don't slice it you know what i mean sure but you eat the segments sure yeah um okay do you have a number of our strawberries rank i do i don't actually i don't have it with me at the moment but they're definitely top 20 you know yeah i would say it's more like i don't know it's because it's so common because i eat it i eat it more often yeah. any other fruits but if i were to compare it to other fruits maybe like 15 9 i don't know yeah right mm-hmm. i think that my gripe about strawberries is that there's such a wide um the consistency yeah consistency yes and that's what bugs me because but strawberries are amazing if they were always consistent it would be top 10 for sure mm-hmm. but it's likely in top 20 because of how inconsistent they are and sometimes they can be really bad really old mm-hmm. right yeah all right that is strawberries mm, so our topic today our sliced talk it talk it sliced topic today is on on retreats is that right g yeah well you know i realize that you're done with a lot of your schooling and you're about to take this month long retreat or rest in between jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a good question or a good topic to have is like, what do you do? How do you plan your rest? And, and then we can also talk about what are you going to do during that month long rest and, mm-hmm. and why? Yeah. I think, um, I, well, technically I haven't really started yet, but I do, I, I would recommend prepa- like planning or how, how do you prepare for a time of rest, whether that's a day or 30 days, you know, I think sometimes I was just t- talking to a friend, sometimes when we feel quite tired or burnt out from work or certain things, it's tempting to just kind of like to veg a little bit which you know i'm not i'm not shaming vegging that's that's fine i think it's okay but sometimes when you do those things they actually aren't very restful actually um like you feel more tired um and so i think there is some merit to preparing for a time of rest or retreat 
again, whether it's for a day or for a more extended time. Um, I've been so kind what of. Are going, what are you going to do? Sure. I am going to um, go on a silent retreat next week for three days. Um, and Why do you call it silent retreat? It's, it's going to be a silent retreat because I am intentionally, so it's kind of based off of, I think, I believe it's based off of this Ignatius, Ignatian practice where people actually are completely silent for three days. And so that's kind of the origins from what I understand. Um, from the purpose of it being silent is I think practicing being still before, for me, before the Lord and practicing stillness and silence um, to be able to hear, hear God, or to understand, you know, to, to receive like insight. And so that, I think that's the purpose of the silence. Well, I think I asked because I'm assuming you're going by yourself, right? Right. Yeah. So it's solo. So, so you know, the act of going by yourself would, would be silent, right? You're not necessarily talking to yourself or, you know, like, is that, what, what do you mean by silent? Sure. I mean, because there are rich silent retreats that retreat centers host and there's other people but you're like actually silent you know right you're not you so you're not talking um for me i i'm still trying to uh plan out my rules or but i i think it's gonna be like no media i'm i'm probably not gonna do any music i actually might actually intentionally not speak you know, like some people on silent retreats, they actually just talk out loud. Yeah, you like to um, talk to yourself. Yeah, so I'm actually going to be intentional and, and not talk out loud. Um, and I mean, like no phone calls and talking to other people. No texting. Um, but what yeah, about no texting. YouTube? No, YouTube. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I haven't done this before, so I can't, I'm not saying that this is... Um, something i can speak on too much but i've just seen it in some for some other friends who've done it before in the past and i recognize the importance of having rhythms of silence and retreating and so i just kind of want to try it you know honestly putting that practice in since i have the time um and then you asked like what i was going to do i am um I am uh, then going to do some play, <laughs> going to uh, travel and uh, go to Europe, see Gigi in person, that kind oh, of right. thing. Be up here. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, like, how, what do you hope to do when you go to Europe? Yeah, I think this is like an, I, 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 I don't mean to be super over spiritual, but I think there's like a sense of like, like permission to like explore and discover and be curious um i think there's sometimes like i don't know for me but for me sometimes there's an expectation or pressure like get the most out of your trip do this do that and i think there's just like kind of like a hey just go like explore have fun there's not like a huge pressure to have this like ultimate europeification so i'm gonna go see our cousin i'm gonna go i'm really excited to see london explore some museums and then i'm gonna meet up with friends in paris yeah, I think that's awesome. A balance of sort of time of just really intentional silence and rest by yourself, and then also things that are really quite stimulating. You're literally in right. different countries, but yet also with the knowledge that hey, you can't just go all out, or you can't. You still need those 
those times of rest also during those trips yeah um, and yeah I I'm I think it's gonna be awesome I I also do two retreats every year mm-hmm, that's right and that's right so I I I mean I think this is the a to- good topic because there's just so much going on in this world so much going on in our lives and I'm like I can't wait to also have that kind of a retreat with my friend um in a, in a month or so and so like yeah I'm so I'm really excited for it and I think it sh- should be a normal practice in our lives mm, yeah for sure Hey, thanks for listening in to our episode 13 with Albert Wang. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. We definitely had a lot of follow-up questions um, to continue to reflect on what we do and how we continue to hold empathy, challenge, and or challenging our past notions and love in the work that we do every day. Um, so, so wonderful to have Albert here to share with us his presence and some of his thoughts and his studies. Uh, also exciting news, Albert got into his PhD program. So if you're hearing this and you know, Albert, or you want to know Albert, give him a shout out, um, congratulate him in whatever way that you want to, um, exciting news and yeah thanks for checking in um leave us a comment um dm us with any feedback we love hearing from you guys and we'll check in again with you soon